Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is the science of motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the science of motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Boy, oh boy, have we got an episode for you. Before I introduce our amazing guest for today, I have to mention that this Saturday and Sunday, if you are in Melbourne, Australia, We are going to be at our very first expo, which is going to be the Pregnancy and Baby Expo. Um, We are going to have a huge discount on all of our FYC products, which include our chocolate and goji lactation cookie mix, our creamy coconut dal mix. Each of those can be whipped up in 15, 20 minutes flat, all super, super high in protein, which is beautiful for newborn mums. Keep that sugar spikes at a bay. And then we're going to have our postpartum recovery sits as well. All of those products are going to be 25% off at the expo this Saturday and Sunday, the 17th and 18th. It is at the Melbourne Convention Centre across the road from Crown. If you jump onto our Instagram, you can get a discount code for your ticket. You can get 50% off and just DM us in the in our Instagram and ask for our uh, discount code for the Pregnancy Expo. So we're so excited. As I said, it's our first expo. We're going to be focusing on our products there. But if you want to come down and chat to us about our doula services as well, how we can help nurture and nourish you with in-home care after the birth of your baby please come on down. As part of an expo exclusive, we are giving away a single Fill My Cup Day. And a Fill My Cup Day is really sweet. We actually often see these given as baby shower gifts. It's a single three-hour session with one of our beautiful Melbourne doulas. And you get a menu sent to you like four or five days in advance and you get to pick from a beautiful menu. You can pick your main meal and a snack, which, you know, could include like our hunter chicken stew or our apple and sultana loaf or our signature dark chocolate and goji lactation cookies. We've also got some beautiful soups on the menu for this winter. You can get a foot soak, a little head and shoulder rub in your session. We'll do some lighthouse work, a birth debrief if you want to, and you can go and have a nice long hot shower rest while we take care of everything for you. So we're giving away one of those fill my cup days and we're also giving away four of our mother load packs, which include all of those three products that I just mentioned before. 
which are going to be 25% off at the expo. So that is so, so exciting. Please come on down, come see us. We are at stand A30. So have have a lovely weekend and, and visit us if you can. So without further ado, I am going to introduce today's guest. She has been on the podcast before and is one of our most downloaded episodes on the pod. And, you know, you'll know why <laughs> once, once you hear from her. Her name is Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum. Yeah, I see you nodding. Uh-huh. You've heard episode 28 with her. It was an amazing episode where we spoke about baby sleep, the neurology and physiology of a baby's brain, how we can help mothers and caregivers who are going through matrescence to kind of understand the physiology, how to support our infants in those first three years of life. And Greer has just written essentially her life's work in a new book called The Nurture Revolution. The tagline is grow your baby's brain and transform their mental health through the art of nurtured parenting. And I was so fortunate to receive an early copy. It doesn't even have page numbers on it. Like that's how early the copy is. And I have read through it and it is just an amazing resource. So it starts, you know, beautifully talking about the science of brain development and all the kind of neuroscience that's going on. But the thing that I absolutely love, and you've probably heard me bang on about this so many times, is this concept around the nurture bath. And Greer has coined that term. It's around the care and awareness that we give our children, that invisible work that is never kind of seen, but it's just this magical moment of beautiful hormones that bathe our baby's brains when you know, we're perceived as sitting on a couch, quote unquote, doing nothing, but we are building really strong, resilient brains for our children, which is just an amazing thing that all mums and dads and caregivers need to understand that that laundry list, literally a laundry list of things that you probably see going on in your house And you think, oh my goodness, I should really get to that, but I'm nap trapped. Just take the foot off the gas, mama. You are doing so much just by sitting there and being with your baby. So park that mum guilt. For those who weren't available for listening to episode 28, please go back and listen to it. You will know from that that Greer is a neuroscientist. She's got a PhD in this particular area. She's an infant sleep expert, doula, life coach. She's got over 15 years worth of experience in academic neuroscience laboratories. She studied the genetics and the experiences and how they shape brains, nervous systems, and the body to influence lifelong mental and physical health. And that is, that that in is of itself what Greer's passion is. I think this is where 
Greer and I really connect because the whole philosophy around this book, The Nurture Revolution, is understanding that if we put the work in early and if we lay the foundations for our children, then, you know, that's going to lead to less mental health crisis, which is just so prevalent across the world at the moment. And that's how I feel the same about postpartum. If we nurture our mum's early doors during pregnancy and those, you know, important first 40 days, and it doesn't stop there, but those first 40 days are really critical, you know, maybe we'll see a decline in maternal mental health issues like postnatal depression and or anxiety. So in today's episode, we talk about the book. We talk about you know, how we can nurture our babies' brains, you know, what does it mean? What's the physiology that's going on when we talk about raising resilient children? Like, what does that actually look like? And then we kind of dive in a little bit deeper around the fact that, you know, places like the US and Canada and the UK and Australia, we have historically had, you know, low low culture, low, like kind of nurture places. Where do we start with that? Because, you know, for generations, we've been told, you know, don't pick up your baby, that's spoiling your baby. And, you know, let them, let them try and work it out themselves. Like, unfortunately, there are some people in the world who just don't have the tools and the toolkit to be able to provide this nurture revolution. So we talk about how and where do we start for parents who are wanting to explore this and incorporate this into their daily lives. And then we talk about something that's probably very personal to Greer around having a NICU baby. And Greer was one of those people who had a NICU baby and, you know, what do you do in those circumstances? Because you can't have that immediate skin to skin and nurturing and holding 24-7. So Greer gives us some really great practical tips to be able to kind of incorporate those into our lives if, if that is the circumstances that you're in. So I have no doubt that you are going to absolutely love this episode. I I was just so sad to hit the stop recording button with Greer. We could have spoken for hours about this. If you are looking at purchasing her book, The Nurture Revolution, you can just head over to her website, which is nurture-neuroscience.com. I know that you can get it on Amazon for Australian purchases. And I think there's some local bookstores as well in Canada and the US. So without further ado, here is Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum. Hello and welcome to the podcast, my very good friend, Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum. How are you today? So well, so happy to be here. I was really looking forward to this. <laughs> now for all those playing at home, I am in the cold, crisp air of Hobart and I can see behind you, Greer, that you have got these lush trees. <laughs> Where are you calling from us today? It is looks sensational there at the moment. I'm so envious. <laughs> it is. It just 
Everything just exploded in the past couple of weeks, <laughs> and these trees were bare pretty recently. <laughs> I've been watching them grow and grow. So I live in the countryside outside of Toronto, a couple hours <sighs> outside of Canada. So this is our prime time. Everything melted. Absolutely. I'm so jealous. I love, I love autumn. And now that I've moved to Tasmania, like winter is beautiful because we get snow-capped mountains and things like that instead of Melbourne, which is just like dreary and gray. But yes, I definitely. I'm a spring. I'm a love. I just love spring so, so, so much. Listeners would have heard from the introduction that this is your second time on the podcast. And for all those who haven't heard your first interview here on the Science of Motherhood, jump back into the previous episode, which I think is episode 28. But today we have you on because you have conquered a mammoth effort in that you have put all your love, passion, stories, education, research, everything in this new book, The Nurture Revolution, which is out now. Yeah. Obviously, wow, what an absolute bloody feat. (laughs) I want to kick off first, Korea, with just briefly talk us through, you know, who you are, if people haven't heard you in that previous episode, mm-hmm. and how long have you been thinking about this book and writing this book? Because I'm always keen to know, I don't think it's on my list to ever write a book, but I'm always keen to know what is this process about and and how did you get here? Yeah, I love I love this because it, it is a very long story. It kind of started... Yeah. It started a long time ago. So I started studying neuroscience actually the year after high school, I had a gap year and I worked in a neuroscience lab. At that point, I thought I was going to go into medicine. So I was kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, working on an experience towards applying for an MD. And I just really fell in love with neuroscience in that lab. I worked with incredible mentor. It was just an incredible experience and I just loved it. And so I, I did an undergraduate degree in neuroscience as well kept loving it. And in those years, actually, I, I really focused on early life experience and how it shapes the brain. And so in those days, I was looking at the visual system, the auditory system, certain cognitive systems. There actually hadn't been this explosion in research. That's the focus of the book at that point. It was like the very mm. beginning of it starting. It kind of started in the late 90s, but like the past 30 years, and my career is about 20 years. It's just, it's like a neuroscience revolution, right? Similar to the genetic yeah. revolution that we've had as well. It's been incredible. So yes. I was already really focused on those, you know, how does early life experience build the brain? I thought it was fascinating. Kept loving research, did a PhD, um, continued to focus on how experience builds mental health. I, I learned about that in my, and studied that in my PhD as well. And then kept going. <laughs> <laughs> she's um, a lover of the research <laughs> tons and tons and tons of research but the, you know the my idea of actually applying the research that started during that yes PhD. yeah I okay was like you know always had my eye on this stuff and actually it was I didn't write about this in the book but I really wanted to kind of point it out that I remember when like all the research I go through in the book I remember when it came out because I was just always like tuned to this like I go to like Mm. the the, you know the focus talks at the society for neuroscience conference on early life experience and mental health I would like 
just flag all the papers that were coming out and collect them. And so I remember like standing at a poster at, at SFN being like, oh, that's the like more the amygdala piece has been found. And then the hypothalamus piece has been found. And just it was incredible. Like I, it really all emerged, you know, as I was studying. I really did want to apply it though in my PhD. I was like, you know what? This is all great, but at a certain point, we got to apply this research. Like it's it's yeah. building, it still is, and that's so important. But you know, we know scientists are completely overwhelmed with their job and translating it, bringing it out into the world is, is another job completely. Mm-hmm. And so I started it then by this, at the end of my postdoc, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was write this book. In the beginning, I was like, oh, I could have like a beautiful center where like I could work with parents and babies and do sensory stuff and emotional stuff and all these kinds of wonderful things. But by the end of my postdoc, a lot of my friends were having babies. Right. Um, I was diving deeper into applying the research and I was like, I don't see any parents in my world, you know, have any clue about what's going on yet. They're also worried about it at the same time. Uh huh. And I was like, let's, you know, let's go. So I kind of, after my postdoc position, I, I just started writing. And so it started like about eight years ago. Um, wow. <laughs> I had a whole doula birth, a postpartum doula and sleep, like helping families with sleep career in those eight years. Yes. Um, and then the actual writing of this version that, yeah, that, that happened more recently. So I really, I'm happy I had all the experience I did. Um, yes. Because it wouldn't have been complete without it. Exactly. And also the fact that during that time, you also have become a mom. And so that in and of itself, I'm sure has shaped. And that is actually one of the things at the beginning of the book, which I just absolutely love. And I think this is where you and I really resonate with so much. Like I was just holding this book going, yes, yes, yes. Is that your focus is all about prevention. Yeah. Like prevention is so much better than treatment because I like like you and just like okay we clearly have a huge mental health crisis going on here in the world it is not just in a single country and you know both you and I could probably sit here to all black and blue in the face talking about how prevention is just the better option. I mean, why would we want to go down that difficult pathway of stress and anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff if, as you say, if we can get this book and the education and empowerment into people's hands to learn about this type of stuff? And, like, it's not easy, but nevertheless, like, just being educated around it is just such an important message. And I I really, really resonated with that. First part, and like, and I always say, like, any amount that people are doing is preventative, right? Like, and it's yes, it's not prescriptive. It's it's just any amount of nurture we can do is going to be such good preventative medicine um, Mm. for babies against you know everything we can think of, right? All the mental health stuff. That's my focus. But then physical issues with physical health go along with mental health. Yes. Um, struggles with relationships, with school, with work, right? Like 
every, like I always, in workshops, I always ask parents, like, what are your wishes for your babies? Right. We make a big list and we're like every single one of these things, like health, happiness, connection, you know, satisfaction, confidence, right. All these things parents want, um, come from nurture. Right. And, and the preventative bit is so important because we, we do see in this field, so many parents don't know about the preventative care they can do. And then in the end, so yeah, nurture is a lot of work. It is. Um, but so is having a baby. I always say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're tired it's it's and- such a, yes, it's such a fine balance, isn't it? Because I think, and I think we touched on this in the first episode that we did together, which was around the fact that, you know, there is obviously, we've got the research that tells us that, you know, these kind of basic steps of nurturing, and we'll deep dive into that in a second, are so, so beneficial. But then it's also the acknowledgement that, holy guacamole, like, parenthood is really hard, particularly in those first three years, which is when, you know, we're getting all of that beautiful brain development underway. And as you've written in the book, that's the kind of foundation for what is going to kind of unfold later in life. Completely. I wanted to like, uh, there's one phrase in the book that I just absolutely love that I'm going to read out. I don't know which page it is because I've got one of the um, advanced copies. So <laughs> I don't know if the page numbers are the same in the, in the current copy, yeah. but you wrote, and this is what I think really sums it up. Nurturing our babies' brains is a movement to revolutionize mental health to impact larger systems in our world. I read that sentence and, like, I still get tingles Mm -hmm. just reading it because I just feel like there's so much that we can do that, as you say, it's just small things. It's not about perfection or anything like that. And it's, it's really interesting. I was recently invited onto a podcast a Mamma Mia podcast, which is quite a significant podcast. And they were asking me questions about, you know, postpartum and how we can gear up for, you know, those first six weeks and things like that. And I mentioned your work and I was talking about, and I am literally like one of your disciples, Greer, I swear. (laughs) Every opportunity I get to talk to a parent or a primary caregiver or whoever it is, But I was talking about the fact on this podcast about your wind term, the nurture bar, Mm -hmm. and what is going on there. Because we were talking about, you know, societal expectations about, you know, a mum finishes up work, she goes on maternity leave, she's used to running around and racing around and ticking off boxes and feeling like, you know, she's not, quote, unquote, achieving anything because all, 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 quote, unquote, she is doing is sitting on a couch holding her baby and, you know, around her she's probably thinking, oh, my God, I need to be, you know, putting on a load of washing or the dishes need to be done or the vacuuming or I've got to text this person back or whatever it is. And I mentioned this concept on the podcast around the nurture bath and I'm not joking the producer on the podcast at the end of it said, I nearly started crying when you were talking about that. And I want you to, to reiterate this to parents. 
What is the nurture bath and why is it so important around the quote-unquote invisible work that we are doing? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that the message is coming out in all these places because it's so important for parents to to find it. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah, it's this. I, I came up with this concept when I was doing you know, lots of nurture baths with my son, right? When he was sleeping on me, I was holding him, you know, as much as he needed, helping him with his stress and connection, all the things that babies need. And I was thinking about how different brain chemistry is for him and me in those moments and for babies and their parents and how different that is versus if he wasn't in a nurture bath, right? Like what would the, you know, what would, his kind of brain chemistry look like that way too. Right. And so when we are close with our babies, both when they can sense us, you know, babies are very sensory. They're always, you know, perceiving the smell of us, the touch of us, the feel of us, our sound of our heartbeat, our breathing. They're really, really seeking out all of those cues. And I call them safety cues, right? It Every time you breathe, your heart beats, your baby smells you, their brain is saying, oh, I'm safe. I'm safe. Like this is, everything is is all good. And and that kind of translate to create this nurture bath in their brain. So their brain releases oxytocin and so does parent brain as well if they're relaxed in the moment. And then there's this beautiful cascade of other hormones that, that come after that oxytocin, right? Like dopamine, endorphins, all of these, you know, hormones that if we're, you know, heard of like the love hormone is oxytocin. We know dopamine is, is, you know, the neurotransmitter that gives us rewarding feelings and feelings of feeling good. And so, so when we're nurturing our babies, we're really incubating their brain. You know, I imagine it floating, right? In all of these hormones and neurotransmitters, we're creating that bath that their brain is floating in, you know, with our nurturing presence. And so, that then goes on to just have unbelievable and transformative um, effects for their brain development. It teaches their stress system to grow, to be resilient, you know, from a DNA level to a protein level to a connection level. It teaches how, you know, the neurotransmitter systems to grow and it even affects like their gut health, the way that their gut health is, is directed to grow. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And so, you know, in those early years, zero to three years old, that's a good, you know, thing to to remember, right? Babies are babies for three entire years. Yes. And and that nurture bath is transforming their brain towards a brain that's resilient, that is a good foundation for lifelong mental health and all physical health and all those benefits we mentioned. It's just really, really powerful stuff, right? It's really, really powerful. Mm. Making a million connections per second in those first three years, which is just... Blows your mind. Absolutely blows your mind. Unbelievable. I think we spoke about this previously, the fact that like how cool would it be to have like a little device, (laughs) like a little headband on them and you could like see all these amazing things. I think this, you know, the narrative around the invisible work that we do as parents would just completely and utterly change. Exactly. Um, Yeah, that's it, right? You think parents are like, oh, if the house doesn't, you know, looks like a mess at the end of the day, it looks like I didn't do anything. Yeah. But holding your baby, supporting their sleep, supporting their stress, all those things, it's doing so much. You're building like millions and millions and millions of connections 
in your baby's brain that they're going to have for the rest of their life. And so I remember those yeah. days, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, wow, I didn't even, I wasn't even really able to unload the dishwasher today. Um, yes. And I was like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I did. Exactly. I did yeah. Be- because I think we need to, and you know, again, it comes back to, I think personality types like myself, I'm type A personality. And so it's that kind of, you know, I must achieve something today. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to shift the focus on what am I achieving short-term versus what am I achieving long-term? And going back to, you know, those questions that you ask parents in your sessions around what is it that you are, your wishes for your child? You know, do you wish for your child to go, oh, mommy, I'm so glad that you were able to empty the dishwasher every day? Or is it I'm so glad that we were able to, you know, sit and connect and, you know, I'm a much more resilient human being and able to, you know, process emotions and come and talk to you when I've got a really hard kind of life challenge. What would you rather? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cups away or Completely. a child who's able to, you know, bounce back? essentially I think a lot of you know the parents of the families that I've worked with like the person who's taking care of the baby the most if it's for example if it's the mom like they know that they're doing a lot of work just being with their baby yeah right I think sometimes it's the people around me need to see it and all of that work is invisible it's all inside the baby's brain right you can't see those connections per second forming and so you know I often will invite all the parents involved, all the as many grandparents as possible, any caregivers around to give these kinds of educational seminars too. So mm. everyone knows what's going on. And, you know, now, you know, passing this book around to your family would be really helpful. Yes. Having those talks with yes. your partner or, you know, for doulas listening, sitting, you know, making this part of your, you know, prenatal visit as well, right? Yeah. To really, you know, lift up that mom or the person who's primarily taking care of the baby to be like, you know, keeping themselves watered and fed, keeping the baby fed and, you know, taking care of your, this baby's brain. Like that's a lot, like just those three things. Right. And they help even with those three things. Yes, absolutely. I could, could not agree more. And, you know, we talk about in our prenatal sessions around a lot around self-care and having time to be able to do things like that and and boundaries as well. And I think that kind of falls within this as well because you need to set boundaries around taking that opportunity to just sit and be, you know, with your child and that's okay. And then, you know, as you say, for the village around you, to do those domestic chores, to help out with other things, like maybe you've got another toddler in tow and, you know, they need some kind of intergenerational relationships where they, you know, grandma and grandpa can take them to the park or whatever that looks like. But, yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. I wanted to touch on, this is probably like a, a, a more bigger kind of picture thing, you write in the book about the fact that, you know, countries like the US and Canada, the UK and Australia 
uh, are kind of seen as more low nurture places mm-hmm. and that, you know, those ways are, are quite entrenched. And, it, and, and, you know, I think that, you know, the population of people there perhaps find it harder to provide care of this nature that we talk about, you know, that more nurture revolution because they themselves have not been brought up in families where this has kind of been prioritised or it's not within the culture normally to kind of, you know, enact these these types of things. If people from those countries are listening to this podcast, you know, where does one start if this is a whole new concept and reality and there's a lot of like aha moments yeah. for those people reading this book yeah. where do you start with that because mm-hmm. I, I don't I like I, I'm not alone in the sense that you know when you become a parent you not only have to parent but you inevitably reflect on your own childhood yeah. right and so how do we how do we manage that process and and how like where do we start? Such a good question. I feel like there's a few different supports and and you know recommendations I would have. I think the first place and I think you know a lot of people will find me with this exact question. They're like right. I don't I, I you know the way that I'm being advised to not hold my baby or you know, mm-hmm. sleep methods or, you know, I'm going to warning that I'm spoiling or holding too much or all these things does not sit right with them. And they're like, this is, I need to s- look around. Like I, this is yeah. bizarre to me because it's predominant, yeah. right. In all these countries. Right. Yeah. Um, so often they'll find me or they'll find, you know, raised good or evolutionary parenting. And so I put on my website, I put a page there um, that has, you know, some of those places I just mentioned and some others, um, websites and blogs that are really nurture friendly, a list of books that are nurture friendly. Um, I should add a bunch of podcasts too. Um, (laughs) I think that's one bit is just like learning this other world, this other way of high nurture. Yeah. Um, that is one huge step. And so, you know, some people I, I come up, you know, worried for six months. They're like, oh my gosh, like the way that I've been advised to deal with sleep just does not feel right with me at all. And they've just yeah. been anxious about it for six months, like, and then finally find one of these resources. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's a whole world of, you know, mm-hmm. gentle parenting, nurtured parenting, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's one bit, right? Kind of just reading around, like reading um, my book would be a great place to start too for theory, right? And then I think, you know, we learn parenting, especially by seeing models. So then it's kind of, I always recommend to anyone, like find a nurturing person, be in your home with you and your baby, because just like, you know, you know, I always think about the, the breastfeeding example of like, uh, I feel like it was a gorilla in a zoo who like was having yes. feeding, right? Uh-huh. And then they brought in human mothers breastfeeding and the gorilla could learn from watching, right? Like we learn mm-hmm. so much social behavior from each other. And so I think like, I'm like, if you have any nurturing friends, bring them in. 
um, anyone in your family who's like the person who's great with babies, like invite you, let's invite them over a lot. And a lot of cases it's their doula, which is wonderful. And I did that for many families as a postpartum doula. You're just there like encouraging these like beautiful nurturing, you know, baby behaviors and, you know, parenting behaviors too. So, so that's important too, right. To like know what, know the foundation, see it hopefully in your own home, and then the, the self-work is a huge piece too, right? If anyone, if for people who can access therapy, access therapy, like that's my number one tip, therapy or coaching of like someone really, you know, really trusted, someone like you really feel comfortable with and, you know, it doesn't always have to, but it's nice if they have a, you know, specialty in this time as well. Mm-hmm. And someone you know is going to support your nurturing. Uh, mm. absolutely but but yeah there's lots of different um there's lots of different people that can help but really getting i think those three prongs of support are incredibly yeah. helpful right and the therapy yeah. is hard because i know from experience it is very hard to yeah have the resources for it to find a good person it's it is a missing piece here i think we do need like a real good solution in the world that that we don't have yeah yeah I agree. I've done a lot of work um, (laughs) as well. And it's exhausting. And, you know, that as an added layer of if you've already got your baby at home, that is just so hard to kind of navigate. I I will say, focus on. And I do make this point um, in the book and, and is, you know, actually nurturing our babies, connecting with them, you know all the ways that we nurture them, our parent brains undergo another transformation um, of our emotional system when we become parents, right? So the big ones are infancy, zero to three, adolescence is another time for our emotional brains. That's the basis of our mental health to be restructured. And then parenting is the third time. Mm. And so actually, you know, a lot of the brain parts that develop in our infancies, the ones that, you know, I talk about that are former mental health, they become plastic again, when you're a parent. And through the nurturing relationship, you can really transform those brain areas for yourself, right? So, so just practicing nurture, you know, starting small and building Mm -hmm. that in itself is healing, right? And a lot of parents come back to me and give me that feedback that they just kind of find that on their own too, which is really cool. That's great. Yeah. I Yeah. And I think this is one of the things that I, I love about, I guess, brain circuitry is like, yes, there's foundational stuff, but we can rewire, you know, it is possible. The damage is not completely done. Yeah. You know, if you've had a traumatic childhood or whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. um, we can always go back and, you know, rework things. Yeah. And that's like, that's a huge, huge population of people who are, who I work with. Yes. They're like, I, I know that my infancy, my childhood was difficult. I do not want to repeat that for my child. I want something brand new. And in that, in seeking out this nurturing path, they, find healing for themselves as well, which is Mm. really beautiful. Yeah. That's really nice. Absolutely. I want to switch gears just very quickly. I think 
if you're happy to talk about it. I think one of the kind of niche topics that you talk about in the beginning of, and, you know, was probably one of the catalysts for this book is the fact that you knew that your baby was going to be in NICU. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I, and I'm so, yes, yeah. Listen. And so you started to prepare almost straight away around, okay, this is going to be a very stressful experience for not only my baby, but for me. Mm-hmm. What are the steps that, you know, am I going to put into place to up that nurture level, which I, I just find fascinating. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that you're just so practical and you're like, yep, okay, we're going to be prepared as a Boy Scout here. Like, let's get rock and rolling. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, having a baby and your baby going to NICU is something that um, is obviously very challenging in and of itself. And I don't think it gets a lot of airplay. And more often than not, you know, we've had a couple of families that we've worked with where this has happened and they put in a position where they're just like, oh, my God, all I've ever been told is that skin-to-skin contact, like, immediately is, like, one of the most important things for me to have with my baby. Obviously, that may not happen when you're in this kind of challenge in your life. Can you walk us through, you know, what were the things that you did? And also, I think, just reiterating that you know not is all lost like obviously if we can get all that beautiful skin to skin straight away that's amazing but I think for a lot of parents the anxiety over not getting that is so hard um but we can make up for it right what were the things that you did and you implemented with your son and for yourself as well for sure I think um the best overall message is like, again, that brain's developing for three entire years, right? And Tuesday could be days, weeks, sometimes it's months, but even that is a part of these three years, right? Where where we have this incredible brain development and plasticity. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, it's, I actually made a resource on my website for people to, they can bring to the hospital that just has like a checklist of things that they can do in the NICU to, to increase. Amazing. Or to help the whole experience. And, and yeah, that was, that was my feeling. I was like, I can't influence this experience. This is how it's going to be. So let's make, you know, the NICU as nurturing as possible. And then when I get home, I know that this nurture that I provide is going to, you know, just build so much beautiful brain circuitry, you know, and incorporate with what happened. Cause that was a reckoning yeah. too. It was like, I don't want this stuff to happen. I don't want them to give, you know, corticosterone shots during my pregnancy. I know that that's affecting my, my baby's stress system development. Right. You know, I don't want to be separated all the, you know, all these kinds of things. And in the end, it was like, that's my son's story. That's my mm-hmm. story. Everyone has their story. And they make us unique and beautiful, different people. And, and that's it. It's like, that was the point where I was like, got the idea of like, there's no perfect brain. Like there's no like perfect parenting, perfect brain, perfect emotional system, any of this stuff. It's like, we have the experiences we have and we're all 
quirky and cool and unique and, you know, our own beautiful selves. And so that's all good. So, so yeah, I think, I think some of the things to do are really advocate in the NICU. So we do have very good research that babies should be getting a lot of skin to skin in the NICU, regardless of their condition. There's like very few exceptions. And some NICUs are excellent at this and they are incorporating all this latest research and some are in the stone ages. Okay. <laughs> and I was, in the, I was in a stone age one. Oh dear. So a lot of places will have like rooming in where you never are leaving, you know, don't have to leave if you don't want to. They encourage lots of that, you know, kangaroo care where babies skin to skin with one of their parents or a relative or someone all the time because babies do so much better in that state. And, you know, and so you really can advocate. You can advocate for that. You can advocate for when you do leave, you can leave your scent with the baby, which we talk about that nurture bath and the safety signals. Your baby's really expecting a lot of those. So if you're expressing milk, you can leave expressed milk like on their hat and kind of just like put it on them or on their blanket or just like right beside them or obviously not an unsafe sleep kind of situation, but you can do that, which is lovely. You can kind of take their blanket and like put it in your armpits and like wear it a lot. Yes. Wrap them up in that. They're still getting that beautiful safety signal there. And baby sleeping on their tummy on the NICU is a really good thing. It's less stressful for them. It's really, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's safe there. They they do it quite a bit because they sleep better as well. Yeah. But uh, you know, if, if, and when you do leave because they're hooked up to constant monitoring, Yeah. right? So you yeah. can't do that at home. Baby's always on their back at home, but in the NICU, yeah. you want to encourage them you know, to do that as well. Yeah. And as you know, yeah, those are the, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones advocate for as much holding and, and all that kind of stuff is important too. And then to mm. take care of yourself, I experienced just no care for myself. I was like, my legs were swollen. I was supposed to have them elevated. I needed like food um. and water, right. All these things. Um, my husband helped a lot as well. But like, they, I was like, is there like a stool for me to put up on my feet? They're like, nah, you're yesterday's news. Like you, we were like <laughs> taking great uh, care of you yesterday, <laughs> but like, no, it's oh, swollen feet now. now. I'm like, great. Um, so just, again, just making lots of noise about what you need to keep yourself comfortable there. And um, yeah, and just meeting your basic needs, I think is like all you can really do. Like make sure you're drinking eating, taking any medications you need to take, all that kind of stuff is very, very important. And then social peer support, right? They usually do have that going on. Connecting with people is just, is medicine. It's so important. And, and, and is in that sense, like with other parents who are going through the same thing and as well as like your kind of inner circle as well. Did you, did you connect with other parents in NICU? I did. Yeah, I did for sure. There's, you know, lots of babies in the same room often as well. Mm -hmm. So you, you see lots of other parents and then they do have a lot, they did have support groups, which was great to, you know, help you with it. I did have also a really good friend who, who also went through the experience and Uh missions she gave me were so important because I wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital. So she was like, you have to go home and sleep. Like you can't take care of your baby at all. If you're not, you know, going home and sleeping mm-hmm. and like feed yourself really well. And like, just don't feel guilty about it. And just some of these like things that I don't know if I hadn't heard that, I don't know if I would have 
been able to take care of myself. Um, and that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you really do need someone to kind of come in and someone who you trust as well, I think is super, super important and be like, okay, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. Cause we do, we like so highly strung and you're like, no, I can't go. And it's like, just need someone to go it's gonna be okay yes. like you do need to put yourself first yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I say that a lot of the times you know with the families that I work with as well I'm like you've got to understand that you are the sun and everything else is revolving around you and so if you do not this is why we call it fill your cup if you do not fill your cup mm-hmm there will be nothing to pour for, you know, everyone else. If I could go back in time, I wrote a whole chapter on parents doing that. Cause it's, if I could go back in time to myself, I'd be like, you needed to take time for myself. Like I was um, taking care of my son and then I was working part-time at around, he was closer to a year, but I would go from taking care of him our nanny would come over and then I would get on the computer and be like, work, 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 work. And then go back. And then now I'd go back and be like, Greer, you got to schedule some of that time. You need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything is wonderful in hindsight. (laughs) I'm six years postpartum and I'm only just starting to do that. So, um, the, I think before we jump into our rapid fire, um, and we kind of touched on this very briefly um, offline, um, obviously, you know, we're talking about other people within our village being able to help us, give us permission around this kind of nurture revolution. What is your advice for those people who are in mother care work or their grandparents, or you know, other kind of carers of mm. of children. You know, how do we integrate something like you know the teachings from this book into our own practices? Where do we start? You know, what are your recommendations? Yeah, for sure. I would say get to know them as well as you can by reading them and and really just modeling. Right? We talked about modeling already so important so important and really like telling parents what you're doing right you'd be like you know baby this is what something that builds a baby's brain let's take nurtured connection for example right like um so nurtured connection is you know also known as like serve and return in a lot of places right where we kind of put a baby right up you know we make eye contact with them we're as relaxed as we can and we just kind of go back and forth baby babbles, we babble back, baby makes a gesture, we make a gesture back. It's very intentional time, right? So if we were going to teach this, you know, to, or model this to someone, we, I'd, I'd kind of say to a parent like, Hey, I'm going to do something really cool right now. I bet you didn't know that babies can have conversations with us, even starting from birth. It's actually, it's incredible. You kind of unlock something in the baby, right? When you do this. And, and they'd be like, okay, let's see. And so, you know, you have to make sure baby's in the right state, you know, awake and alert and you calm as possible. And you can just say, okay, look, I'm going to like ask the baby a question. You ask the baby a question, like, how are you today? And they make a noise, you make one back and you just kind of, you know, 
go back and forth and then give the parent a chance to try. Right. And so I think just, yeah, doing our best at making it cool and interesting and, and fun, right. is a good start too. And I think parents get so people, parents are amazed at some of these things because Mm. in, you know, these very low nurturing cultures, like they're not modeled or seen, um, and you as a practitioner are probably going to be the person to do it and then know that, you know, you're dramatically influencing that baby's and that parent's life by doing it. I think that's a really important information that you give. And I, I do find this particularly with first time parents that we work with. And as you say, like, you know, maybe their extended family is in another state or overseas and they can't, you know, get there to nurture and people, you know, <laughs> they call me and they're like we just don't know what to do you know there's this beautiful new baby and we obviously love them dearly but we just need someone in here to help us guide us you know how do you hold them how do you interact with them what does that mean they're making this noise what does that mean you know are we and like you know and it goes in and it makes me sad because they're like are we doing the wrong thing and I'm like well unless anyone's being harmed no (laughs) like you know but As you say, we do need, and this is why I think doulas are such an integral part of child rearing and mother care because we have lost our village. And so I feel like, you know, this revolution of nurturing, we do need people, as you say, who are experienced, who are trusted, who can provide amazing information and education mm-hmm. and share their experiences. We know from the research that that's exactly what mothers need in order to thrive. Yeah. And so I think this, you know, this book is actually a perfect start for people to start on their journey of, of that. Yeah. Are you ready for our rapid fire? Sure. <laughs> and I know you I know you answered these in the last episode, but I actually haven't gone back and and revisited what you said. So you could say the exact same thing and I wouldn't even know. But I think it's been some time since we chatted, so <laughs> it may be different. Yeah. Okay, here we go. What is your top tip for a mama to be? Yes, I think the top tip is to learn to cultivate your intuition. So much of, yes, our parenting and our relationship that we form with our baby comes from that, comes from what feels like a yes in my body and what feels like a no in my body. And so starting small is a great way to start, right? Like, you know, how do I feel you know, what do I feel like doing this morning? And just think about some, some things and, you know, what, what, what makes your body say, yes, that's what I want to do or no way. I don't want to do that. And, and that's an intimidating for, a lot, you know, to share that for a lot of people, but we do all have this ability to kind of tune in to how we feel inside. Um, and it's such an important, important tool for parenting and for taking care of ourselves at the same time. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. Do you have a go-to resource for parents? Obviously, this book Mm -hmm. (laughs) is amazing, but you've mentioned a couple of other things on your website, which I'm very, very keen to like deep dive into your website again to learn more about these. I think my biggest ones are around sleep. Um, Yeah. Because there's so much 
confusion and, you know, misunderstanding about infant sleep. So I would say, I, I really like Sarah Aquil Smith, Why Your Baby Sleep Matters. It's like a small book. It's great for parents. It's all evidence-based and it just tells you the facts, which is very important. Yeah. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. I think that is the like, well, the top two things that we always get asked as doulas is around sleep and feeding. And as you say, there is just this huge misconception out there that, you know, babies are to be sleeping seven to seven and all the way through at like such an early age and in a separate room. And I'm just like, you know, it's, still the narrative that gets fed to us. I I can't, I don't know, I think maybe because I'm in it, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're still talking yes. about this. Why Why do we keep having to, I feel like we are pushing shit up a hill sometimes, Greer, because, <laughs> because mm. I get these really, and you would see it all the time, you know, anxious parents coming to you going, I'm so broken, my because the expectation has been put up here with these crazy sleep guides, and I I got them. Mm-hmm. I, I've had I had two sleep consultants because yep. I thought my baby was broken, and the the strict scheduling around things, yep. you know, it's that is just so okay. unrealistic. It is, and it really is a lot of a, a big source of anxiety and depression for parents. Yes, and so. My my preference is to educate people prenatally on it so they really yeah. can hear it and understand it um, without the distractions of being, you know, in postpartum. But yes, that's that would be the most sanity-saving bit of information I think people could, could learn. Yeah, yeah. And there's a huge amount, like for those listening, there is a huge amount in this book. I'm just trying to find the contents page here that you have have written um, in there around. um, And I think also because, like, I mean, you've got a chapter on, you know, baby crying and and clinging, withdrawn, melting down, so around, you know, nurturing stress. But I also feel like that then ties into the very next chapter, which is around nurturing sleep as well because people, people panic, like, oh, my God, my baby's going through this purple crying period and, like, what does it mean and all that kind of stuff. And as you say, like, if people understand the why, I think everything else just kind of is a ripple effect and they kind of accept it a bit more around the fact that it's not normal for kids to sleep 12 hours straight overnight. And whoever keeps peddling that phenomenon has got things to answer for, I think. My last question always is um, from the lovely Brene Brown. I poached this. What do you keep on your bedside table? Oh, I have books, books, lots of books. What are you reading (laughs) as an author? What are you reading, Greer? I just read. So I have been reading nonfiction for eight years. Uh And this past summer, um, I started reading fiction again, which is just so exciting. Uh favorite i just read the most amazing book called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow okay gabrielle zevin i believe is the author's name yeah could be wrong on that okay it's incredible like i could not put it down it's amazing i'm gonna write this down 
I always love hearing about new books because <laughs> like you, I do read a lot of nonfiction and then I'm like, okay, Renee, come on. <laughs> it's just Put the holiday. research paper down. Yeah. It's like a total mental holiday to take, you know, to just get into a great book. So that's been, that's been part of my self-care. Yeah. I love that. Actually, and this is an, a one additional question. What do you do for self-care? Because I'm on a bit of a self-care revolution at the moment. Yes. And I'm integrating a few bits and pieces into my life. But as I said, it's taken me six years to get my shit together. But um, yep. what are you doing? I would also agree with that. It's been since you know, my son's <laughs> four and a half now, since four, I feel like I've been able to act, to do a lot, to meet some of these goals at least. Yeah. Um, so I hike every week, a few times a week uh-huh. in, in the woods. Yeah. My new one, that's a big one, is taking brain breaks. Okay. What does so, that look like? Yes. So this is like, it's uh, it's been out there. It's, uh, it's just that the new mindset I have about it is really helpful in motivating me to do it. So, you know, essentially it's a stress management tool, a mindfulness tool, which we know really changes our brain in a, in a great way to help stress. And so I do throughout the day, if I'm switching a task or about every hour or so, mm-hmm. look out the window, close my eyes and do breathing, just belly breathing, a quick two minute, just check in. Yeah. And I heard something really cool lately from a scientist on the on a Huberman lab episode. I wish I could remember her name, but I'll send it to you if we, it's a great episode. And she mm-hmm. said, she's doing research on when we take our awareness from the external world and turn our awareness to our internal, internal world, like make mm-hmm. that flip. Um, mm-hmm. That is doing a lot of brain rewiring, I think in the dopamine oh. specifically. So I've been doing these kinds of brain breaks. I've been calling them all different things for years but when I when I heard it that way, it changed things for me. I'm like, I need to take, you know, shift my awareness in. Like it was just a different like task. Um, yeah. And that's been really, really helpful. To, to, I like that. Because the motivation is always the, we know what's good. Yes. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I think. Well, I love the nature thing for me. Like I need to start doing that a bit more. Mm -hmm. But I've been journaling and infrared sauna. I've gone on that bandwagon. And that has been a game changer. Similar to, I think, that like awareness, you know, going to internal. Because it's so goddamn hot in there. You cannot take your phone in there. Good luck. You can take a book, but, you know, the pages start to curl. It's too hot. And so it's 30 minutes of just sitting there with your thoughts. Cool. And I try to do that once a week. Yeah. And journaling, I'm trying to do two to three times a week about, you know, just that reflection. I think similar to what you were saying before, where you're like, just take a moment and think about, you know, how am I feeling? What do I like? How how are you going this week? Like I actually write questions to myself and then I answer them. That has um, been on my wish list of self-care for a very long time so I'm uh, that someday. I've only just started I've got onto um this amazing woman called Dr. Marion Piper okay. and because I would always I don't know about you but I always struggled with like blank page yeah. I was like oh my god what do I write yeah. and she's got these deck of cards called 
I think it's like the expression session or something. And you just like grab the deck, pick a card and it's a question and you write it down and then you answer the question. And she's like, once you just start, get going on that, you just watch like, and it is, you just keep like, I'm just writing afterwards. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So um, that was my motivator for that. And it's cheaper than therapy. So I love that. I love that. Oh my goodness, Korea. It has been amazing having you back on the podcast. And as I said, every single time I talk to people about this concept of the nurture bath, there are so many aha moments. And after that episode, and even like from that episode onwards, people who have just found the podcast and who have like listened to the episode, I get emails and DMs all the time going, oh my God, I've just listened to that episode. One, thank you so much. And two, you have just taken a huge weight off my shoulders because I now no longer feel guilty just being with my baby. And, you know, knowing that I am doing all of this invisible work and building the foundation for a resilient child, Mm -hmm. like, you are changing lives, Gria. I hope you bloody know that. Like, it's just so, so amazing what you're doing. I love to Thank get the so message much. out. And also I feel like once people know it, they can be like fierce about it. Yes, it, like me. Yeah. yeah like, really you will listen it. to this. It is game changers. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just such a intuitive thing for us to be able to do. And if the knowledge can give people freedom mm. with their babies, let's yes. like shout it from the rooftop. So let's get, you know, set everybody free, you know, to do. Exactly. That. Yeah. And for everyone listening, where can we, where can we buy this book, Rhea? Like where, where can yes. we get our hands on? And when can we start putting out this amazing message? Yeah, it's exciting. So it's available in Amazon, on Amazon for sure, in many places. In Canada, it's available at a lot of the local bookstores and same in America. Outside, I think it's mostly an Amazon buy. I know. I know. Or um, bookshop. But I have all the links on my website. And if more places start to publish it, I'll, I'll, I'll share that information too. Amazing. I will put all the links into our show notes. As I said, thank you so much again for your time. You are always amazing. And keep us updated with all the latest research that is going on. But um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. Until next time. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.